So uh, uh, we've been dealing with Ephesians. You all know it's, uh, it's, 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 it's my favorite book. Again, the, the most clear and, if you will, concise summary of the gospel, if I could put those two descriptors uh, 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 together. Now, we've all heard this phrase, and I referenced this a few weeks ago. And uh, I started thinking about stuff, but, but hurt people hurt people. I, I heard that as a young man, and I, I kind of thought about it. But I'm going to tell you, as an older guy, man, this is true. Now, oftentimes they're hurting people that they weren't hurt by, but it's, it's a result of, of, of being hurt. And over the years as I've pondered that, one of the benefits I think to my heart and soul is when hurt people hurt people, uh, I don't know that I'm less angry when they're hurting other people, but I started, oh, some decades ago, starting to grieve for the people that were hurting other people. You know, I'm still disappointed and ticked off when they hurt other people, but, but decades ago it started, I realized there's a pain in them that really is the source of, of them hurting other folks. So a little more understanding for people who, who hurt others. And folks, we're in a world and a country right now where there are more people, it feels like to me, hurting people than in a time that I remember in my life. There's more anger and bitterness out there than I recall in my life. Just more of it being expressed. And I shared with you a few weeks ago, again, when you're old, you young people, uh, most of them are up at camp. I got some young people. You, you just wake up early in the morning. So it, it occurred to me, and, and I, I shared with you a few weeks ago, I, I, I'd never read this, I never heard this, but I was thinking about the hurt people, hurt people, dealing with some folks that were hurting people and just thinking about it. And it occurred to me, I, it never turned it around to the positive side. And so it occurred to me as I'm laying in bed, and I shared this a few weeks ago, the reality is loved people love people. That's the positive side. And as I've been thinking about this and contemplating this even the last several weeks, I go, this is a stinking good summary of the gospel. This is a great way to describe who Christians ought to be. Those who are loved, love others. Now we're going to look at only two verses today. So I know if you're new around here, you're presuming, oh, it will be a shorter sermon. <laughs> There's no correlation between the amount of text and the length of sermon for you new folks. We're glad you're here. We're going to look at two verses in chapter 5. Paul's moved through those first three chapters, who we are in Jesus, our identity and how much we're loved. And then he goes to chapter 4, and we're going to go to 5 and 6, where he's talking about how those people who experience the love of God, how they express it. Now, I want you to notice he goes into lots of detail. We've been dealing with it, and he gets fairly precise. And he's going to back up in the text today as we leave chapter 4 and go into chapter 5. And he's going to jump back to about the 100,000-foot view from up above again. And he's going to summarize. Now, what I want you to see in the text, he's going to summarize this stuff. My words. 
Loved people. Loved people. Because he wants us to keep our eye on the ball. He wants us to keep the big picture of what it means to love Christ and how that looks. Therefore, Stephen did an outstanding job last week emphasizing therefore. If you were here, he had to say therefore about 23 times. But yes, what is it therefore, therefore? It's built upon what he said before. I think the most immediate context is, is, is what Stephen dealt with last week. But, but he's, he's flowing in one sense from everything that's been written thus far. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Lord, these words were penned by Paul who was inspired by you roughly 2,000 years ago. But the truth, the relevance, Father, it's no different today than it was when he first wrote these things for those believers around Ephesus. This world is a mess. It is broken and hurting, and there are hurting people all over. Father, we each have our own hurts and our own pain. The solution is continuing to grow in our experience of your love. So I'd pray that you would use our time here together to help us all experience a little more of your love. I pray in the next however long <laughs> this goes today, Father, I pray that every single individual would leave feeling more loved by you. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We are loved people. Loved by God. Amen, amen, amen. Now, why does Paul spend so much time writing this to people who already know they're loved? Because there's more to it than they've experienced. There's dimensions to this love that they have yet to feel and to know. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Chapters four, five, and six, how you live, it comes from your being loved. And walk in love, be loving, as Christ loved us. Loved people love others. Love other people. What's the source of our ability to love other people? Being loved. It's how we started the book. Chapters one through three, let me summarize what he's saying. We are loved. We are deeply, lavishly, infinitely loved by God. Chapters one through three, any questions? There's the big idea. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with most spiritual blessings. Every thank you for correcting me, inspired by God right there. The rest of you who are quiet, we're praying that God will inspire you more. In the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now this frustrates people, there's mystery here. Mind-boggling. For those of us who have treasured Christ, he loved us before there was a world and before we existed. That's how extended that love is. I started loving my kids when we figured out Julie was pregnant. That's when it started. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Does everybody see that word, L-O-V-E? We read these words and I just feel like we read, oh yeah, he loves as he loved in love. He predestined us, again, before the foundation of the world for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We were loved before we... What's that like? How do you love somebody before they exist? Let me tell you, there's only one being that can love somebody before they exist. Are you okay? Only God can do that. What's that like? I really have no idea. My finiteness brings on such extraordinary limits to my ability to love. But God, being rich in mercy because, oh, Paul's writing this because he wants us to feel it. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Why does he write this? Those people knew they were loved. We know we're loved. Because wherever we are in this, there's more full experience of that love. We are loved people. So how do you measure the extent of love? Again, I'm old. I've been thinking about this for years. I've put lists up like this before, but I'm old and I can't stand just doing what I did before, so I have to keep thinking about it. And I'm not saying this is any better, but it's a little different than the last time I gave this list. How do we measure love? The cost of the love. I'm just going to tell you, if Elon Musk gave me a million dollars, that would be a generous gift, and I would be grateful, and it would change my life. But it ain't that big a deal to Elon Musk. It's just not that big a deal. Part of the way we measure the extent and the magnitude of love is in the cost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Because God's holy, he's righteous. Most of you have heard that story. If you're here today and you haven't yet chosen to love Christ, this text is actually written to those of us who have loved Christ. But I pray as we go through it, if you haven't yet treasured Christ, I think it'll help you. I think it'll make sense in terms of what the rest of us believe. So I hope you'll, you'll stay with me. But because God is holy and righteous, he can have nothing to do with sin. And everybody sinned. Sin of its essence is not trusting God, not valuing God, not treasuring God, not having faith in God. That's the essence of sin. Now, how many manifestations are there to sin? Let me tell you, they're pretty much limitless. But that's the foundation, is not loving God. 
So he sent his holy righteous son. My life changed when I went. I should just be damned in my early 20s. He should have damned me. I could have quoted the verses. I could have said it. I could have given you the answers, but I hadn't felt it in my heart. When I got to the place that I actually should be damned, my life was changed. And let me tell you what happened. The cost Jesus dying on the cross exploded with meaning to me. He didn't have to. He's still holy. He's still righteous. He's still happy without saving us. I knew all the stuff. Good Friday and Easter changed for me. When I saw what it cost the father. Changed for me when I became a father. I've told you before and it's still true. I don't love all of you enough to give any one of my kids for you. I don't. I would pick my kids over you. Do I love you? Yep. Not as much as my kids. The cost to the father? I don't know how you get there. The worthiness, unworthiness of the receiver. I have had so many people love me over my life and I don't mean to diminish the extent or the magnitude of their love, but most of them had a relationship with me. I think I'm fairly lovable. Some who know me may disagree. (laughs) The cost to the giver and the worth of the unworthiness of the receiver. Most of the folks that have loved me, we have a loving relationship. Now, Jesus, again, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially said, so if you love other people that are lovable and love you, that ain't any big deal. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins and what you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind and we were by nature children of wrath. He gave his son for people that what they'd earned was eternal punishment. He gave his son to his enemies. That's who we used to be. The benefit of the receiver. I've had some people be generous to me over my life. If you're one of those folks, I don't mean to diminish that at all. But nobody in the world, I took everything that everybody's given me over my entire life, my family, my kids, everybody. In one sense, if you'll allow me, it's not worth mentioning compared to what I've gotten in God. And I'm grateful. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of life, like the rest of mankind. That's who we used to be, even if we were raised in church. And you who guys who were raised in church know I have a special passion because I think sometimes it's harder for us to raise in church. We weren't that bad. We were pretty good. Like all of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He forgave our sins. He connected us back to the Father. The Father now looks at us not as sinners, but as holy and righteous. Crazy! He puts his Holy Spirit in us. He promises to use all circumstances for our good. And then we got an inheritance in his eternal presence that is guaranteed for us and locked up. Elon Musk gives me a million dollars. I will write him a very nice thank you. And I will be grateful. And it will be an expression of love. It's not even really worth mentioning what we have in Jesus. And the motivation for the love, for God so loved us children of wrath. I don't know about you, but I find it really easy to love people who love me. I'm just going to tell you, I have no challenge with that. Jesus put that part in about love your enemies. I'm pretty sure he meant it. That's what he did. Why? Because he loved us. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering here. He's referencing Christ's sacrifice, which is a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's deal with the fragrant offering first. When Jesus hung upon the cross, God's heart was broken. He's pouring out his righteous wrath on Jesus that we deserved. The Father, on his holy, perfect Son. I guarantee you that broke the Father's heart more than we can imagine. That was the cost. While simultaneously, it's a fragrant offering. The father's emotions, his heart breaks, and yet Jesus provides this fragrant offering. What he's saying is, God the father is pleased. His son is doing exactly what he asked him to do. 
procuring redemption for those of us who trust. God's heart breaks, and simultaneously it makes him happy. Sacrifice. You know, there are different... The, sac the sacrificial atonement of Christ, I don't want to go too deep in here, but there's different people that just heard a podcast where a guy went with ransom theory and all this stuff. I'm not going to go into the details. But there was a sacrifice that had to be made because of God's holiness. He cannot overlook as a just God sin. It has to be paid for. So for 1,300 years, starting with Moses, there was the sacrificial system. The purpose of it was to keep telling everybody, you got to keep making these sacrifices because you cannot solve this with all these sacrifices. They're to point to the ultimate sacrifice that's coming, the gift of Jesus. 1,300 years they did it. They took this system, which was intended by God, to point to their weakness, and they turned it into a means of their saving themselves. Love the author of Hebrews. Don't have any clue. I can't wait till I get to heaven and find out who wrote this stuff because he was stinking brilliant. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. All those sacrifices. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Or by a single offering that we're going to celebrate a little later this morning, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Here's how I'd summarize it. We are stinking loved by God. And people who have been stinking loved by God, you know what they do? Anybody want to guess? They love other people because they can't help it. Because they got this love coming into them that can't be stopped. This love just fills them so much, it just has to come out because it would hurt not to let it come out. Loved people, love people. Here's how I divide Ephesians. Chapters one through three, we are loved people. Anybody want to guess what the next slide is going to show? That's what it looks like. That's what's going on in Paul's mind as he writes this book. Now, I'm going to deal a little theology here. I'm going back to something I used with the Reformation. If you were here for the Reformation, and we were talking about that at the anniversary of the Reformation, but we're going to talk about the narrow road. That's in the middle. And then I'm going to talk about two sides where it goes theologically. And uh, I'm going to talk here, first of all, what, what I'm going to call actually the Roman Catholic position on how this works. And I'm using this verbiage, but I'm talking about how Roman Catholics, I don't know about your neighbor who lives down the street, what he believes. I'm talking about what formal Roman Catholic theology believes. 
They believe they are loved by God and through faith they are connected with God. But in addition to that, to be justified, you also have to live in a certain way. And you have to express that being loved. You got to participate in the sacraments. And they believe what's going on is you're in the continual process of being justified and being made right with God through faith and through the actions that flow from faith. I think most Protestants don't give Roman Catholic formal theology enough credit. This is not a stupid position. I just think it's not that accurate. We got the Reformation comes along, a big fan of Martin Luther, because that's what he grew up with. He starts reading the Bible and goes, no, 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 it's faith and faith and faith and faith and faith alone. Amen, hallelujah. Everybody here ought to say amen. Faith alone. Amen. Now what Protestants did in my estimation is we diminished that loving others part. And we so emphasized faith and faith alone that we actually said you can be loved and not necessarily love others. I asked two pastors when I was younger, when I was coming to faith, can we experience justifying faith and not be sanctified, not be in the process of experiencing ongoing spiritual transformation? And they both told me, yes, you can have justifying faith and not be experiencing sanctification. You following me? That's the theology I grew up with. It's why I was in seminary. I wasn't that interested in loving anybody, reading the Bible, praying, telling anybody about Jesus' love, and I thought I was good. And how these things relate is critical, isn't it? The essence and the core of, of, of Christianity. The narrow road is this. Those of us who are loved, the love's going to come out of us. Now, it has, doesn't have anything to do with our being justified. But it is an inevitable, supernatural byproduct of faith. And why do I get so passionate about this? It's what brought me to faith when I finally started reading the Bible for myself. And I saw this truth and I went, I'm not interested in loving people really. I mean, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a terrible guy. On an average scale, I'm slightly above average in terms of being nice. Unless you tick me off. Love your enemies wasn't a consideration, though I believed I was a Christian. This is what Paul is saying. Now, Paul, he came from Roman Catholicism, right? He didn't like the book of James. You know what James writes? Faith without works is dead. Now, I think, and love Martin Luther, he didn't understand that, and it was from his frame of reference where they were so emphasizing so many works. He says, listen, it's a straw pistol. Let's essentially throw that one away. But that's what James is saying there right in the middle. If we have experienced God's love and have justifying faith, guess what happens? It comes out of us. We obey. What emotion goes with that obedience? Joy! I told you all again. I was like in my late 20s before I figured out the reason God gives us these commands is we're just too stupid to realize what's good for us. I finally look at this in the Ten Commandments. I thought, well, at least one of them was there to pre prevent me from getting joy. And then I realized, no! He gives us these commands so that we can be happier. You live by these principles, you will be happy. Because he actually knows better than we do.
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. This is when we move from chapter 3 to chapter 4. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, consistent with being loved. And then he gets downright specific. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I've told you before, you want to see the power of God, look for individuals living this way. Look for a church family. I still think we sit and we go, oh, I'd like to see some glorious miracles. Let's have a mass revival, which I'd love miracles and I'd love mass revivals. I love that stuff. Here's where Paul says the power of Christ is seen. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing with one another in love. Why? Because it's hard when we want our way and when we're pretty convinced we're smarter than everybody else and we think they have really stupid views. It's just easier to attack them and to try to argue them into a hole and embarrass them. Thud Stephen did an outstanding job last week with 425 through 32. What I'm trying to point here to is that in that loving, Paul has gotten very precise. Speak the truth, we don't lie. Lying is saying we don't trust God to handle things with the way circumstances are. Speak the truth, he already told us in chapter 4, verse 15, in love. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's a bad sign. I'm just going to tell you, anger right now in our culture, I started in the intro with this. This is the angriest I ever remember our country, and it feels like it's pretty pervasive. People are just ticked about a lot of things. Humble, gentle, patience, forbearing one another in love. Heard Piper preach years ago. Stephen alluded to it last week. I'll, I'll never forget. It's got to be 25, 28 years ago. And I remember him saying three ways to look at things. We can steal to get, we can work to get, or we can work to give. And I'm like, that makes sense. We speak to build others up. We're kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Is anybody unclear as to the picture of what Paul's painting we look like? As those who have experienced his love, is anybody wondering? Now, if he'd have put impatient and angry on there, this would be easy. All rooted in his love. Stephen uh, said, hey, you can Google. So I Googled it. He referenced an article last week, Seven Marks of a Stereotypical Christian. I loved it. I loved all seven. I thought they were fairly insightful. You want to get a picture of what the world's seeing from Christians right now? This feels fairly accurate to me. Now, what I noticed, it was written in 2013. Eleven years ago. It's only gotten worse. It's how people look at us. What did Jesus say? Oh, yeah, this is how people are going to know you're my disciples, because you're going to fight to defend who I am. Is that what he said? 
I'm going to know you by your love. I listened to a podcast, a Christian podcast, interviewing Rob Reiner. Now, how many of you remember Rob Reiner? All in the family, meathead? All right, we've got some folks that remember uh, what, what, it, what that TV show was like, Norman Lear. For, for you younger folks, Google uh, Princess Bride, uh, uh, Spinal Tap, A Few Good Men. He's acted and he's, he's directed. He's, he's Jewish by physical descent, but not by, by faith. But in this, he, he talked about in a challenging time younger in his life, he pursued uh, some help by looking at all the religions, including Christianity. And he got this picture of Jesus and, hey, how about you live by trying to treat one another as you'd like to be treated? And he just loved this expression. Now, he's not come to treasure Christ and the atonement, but he got this expression of love thing right. So he's part of making a movie. I think it just came out Friday, God and Country. I've not seen it. Don't hear this as an endorsement. But the motive for, for, for doing the film was there's a bunch of Christians out there in his mind and some others' mind not actually living like Jesus. Alistair Bagg, pretty well-known pastor. Uh, I've loved everything I've heard him say. I've loved everything I've heard him write. In a sermon he talked about, just recently, advice he gave to a grandmother whose grandchild was going to get involved in an LGBTQ wedding, marrying somebody transitioning. And he gave her this advice. Go to the wedding and buy a nice gift. He's being canceled in many ways by Christians. His sermons were on a radio show. They've removed him. He was going to speak at a big pastoral conference out here in Southern California with a fame. They agreed that it would probably be best for him not to come. He just got canceled for advice that I've given to several folks over the years here at RCC. He holds my position, which is God created marriage to be between a man and a woman. That's his position. So I've asked people who here have faced the same challenge, what should I do? My first question is, well, do they understand where you stand in terms of what would be healthiest and most God-glorifying, that marriage is between a man and a woman? And they say yes, and then I say, go to the wedding and buy a nice gift. Well, I'm afraid they might think I'm condoning their relationship. I thought you told me they understood your position. It's muddy out there, guys. It's messy. Let me tell you, loving people comes with some risk that it might be misunderstood. We do our best to speak the truth in love. I was in a small group just before the 2020 election, and somebody said, I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote for Joe Biden. Somebody else affirmed the same position. I wasn't really tempted, but I thought about saying, well, why don't you ask him and him? People who I don't have any doubts about their faith who in conversations with me and talked about wrestling it and decided to vote for Joe Biden. 
We're in the middle of an election year. You guys, have you guys been paying attention? This is ugly. I, I'm going to tell you, I'm not surprised with where culture has gone. I'm a little surprised with how fast we've moved. But I'm going to tell you, as an older guy, I've been surprised at the divisions in the church over what I'm going to call secondary issues. Surprised and to some degree disappointed. George Floyd, CRT, LGBTQ, mask or no mask. We're going into an election. Things are just getting more heated as we move forward. Do we speak the truth in love? Do we share our views? Sure. So you're thinking about voting for Joe. Those folks, it did not feel safe for those folks in that group to share their perspective. We want to speak the truth in love. We want to talk about this stuff. But sometimes maybe better than declarations is help me understand why you're considering that. Let's talk about that in love. This podcast with Rob Reiner, believers asking the question, I love it. Believers talking to an unbeliever who I would call Rob Reiner pretty reasonable and they had a fabulous conversation. Did they agree on everything? No. But it was a healthy, loving dialogue. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving. This is how we ended chapter four last week. As God and Christ forgave you. I was reading Matthew 18 this week, preparing the sermon. There's a story in there of the king. It's, it's one of Jesus' parables. The, the king that forgives this guy, oh, an insane amount of money. You know the story? And then he's got a servant that, by comparison, owes him just a pittance that he doesn't forgive him. You remember what Jesus said? Hey, you act like that guy that doesn't forgive. God's going to treat you just like the king, the master, treated that servant who didn't forgive. He threw him into prison. God's going to do that to you. Because if we're not forgiving, if we're not loving, that's a really bad sign. Oh, did I finish that? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Love other people as you've been loved. That's what it, the imitators mean. Any questions on that? Now, it's a pretty high standard. We're not going to do it perfectly, but there's this desire. And walk in love as Christ loved himself and gave himself, gave himself uh, uh, up for us. Holy cow, holy cow. We ended chapter 3 with this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Three chapters of love. And how does he end it? I pray you get more. Verse 18, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. For most of us here, we've experienced the love of God. My prayer for you and for me every day 
is that we'd get more. Because that's the source of power. Christ gave it. We get that power from Christ. He was actually a model as to how this looked. Speaking the truth, always. Always. Standing for truth, always. My prediction is it won't be too long in California. The church is going to have to say no to the government. I think probably sooner here than most other places. Because they're going to ask us to do something that's contrary to our faith. What will we say? Lovingly. I'm not kidding about that. Firmly, assuredly, without hesitation. But how are we going to say it? With humility and with gentleness. But the church is going to probably need to be clear here before too long. <sighs> so, for Monday, ready? Celebrate God's love wherever you are. Celebrate the love of God that you've experienced. I'm still growing in my experience of his love. I still feel more love than I used to. I'm going to tell you, it's great. Number one desire in my heart is to feel more love. There's a confidence. There's a peace. There's a happiness. Wherever you are right now, celebrate it. Thank God for the growth. I feel more loved by God. Do I still get impatient? How many of you think? Do I still get angry? Lord, help me. But guess what? I'm experiencing OST. It is great. Danielson, is there room for me to grow yet? She giving a huge thumbs up. Yes, please assured there's plenty of room to group. Now, I'm going to ask you to make a personal assessment. No beating yourselves up because we're loved by God. Are you experiencing that growing love of God? You feeling it? You knowing it? Are you looking back and going, I'm actually becoming more loving? Make an assessment. Beat yourself up? No, 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 I forbid it. Don't waste your time. It's stupid and it's diminishing God's love. He loves you. Ask somebody you know for an assessment. I'll be asking my wife. Somebody you know well. If you're married, ask your spouse. Not married, ask a dear friend. Am I conveying that I'm growing in my experience of God's love? Or are you seeing me express this more fully than I used to? If you're here today and you haven't yet treasured Christ, that's cool. That's a great, accurate assessment. My greatest joy would be talking with you about that if you have questions. I would love to do that. Ask God to help you experience more of his love. My favorite prayer in the Bible, no offense to Jesus in that one he gave us, is Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians 3. My prayer for me every day, it's my prayer for you all every day. Because it's the source of this, being loved by the Almighty God. And then ask God to empower you to express what you are experiencing 
a little more fully. Help me recognize other folks. I got this story this week. It's Larry on the left. He's a bus driver. That's Levi on the right. Larry went to pick up Levi. When he goes to pick him up every morning, Levi would wave him into the spot with a big smile. He drove in this last week, and Levi was sitting by himself and just crying. He got on the bus, and Larry asked him, hey, what's wrong, Levi? So out of character. And Levi said, it's pajama day at school, and I don't have pajamas. Larry dropped him off at school. Then he ran to the dollar store in their town, bought two sets of pajamas. And you can see him holding them there and brought them to Levi. You ought to hear the mom. You ought to hear Levi talking about it. Who is it that needs pajamas in our life? All that God's given us. Who do you know that needs some pajamas? Ah! Levi, Larry talked about how happy he was when he saw that smile on Levi's face with the pajamas. Ah, the power, the power, the power of love. The power of Jesus. We're going to celebrate that most full expression of God's love this morning. I'm going to ask you to come up here and take the elements, take them back to your seat. I'm going to ask you to hold them until we can all partake in this thing together as the United Church. Because Jesus is way more important to us than anything else. Come on up here. Grab these elements.